Miss Joey. Hello. It's good to be back with you. I'll be sad uh, to not be here next week, um, but it's been it's been great. It's been a gift to, to me. Uh, so I hope it's been it's been good for you too. Um, like I said, questions I'm going to take at the beginning of the session. So think think of a question or two you might have or a clarification while I I uh, I do this. Shameless plug, if you're like, hey, I'm so sad that this thing is ending. I wish there was some way to like continue um, growing in this beautiful teaching. Where can I go? You can, you can watch this. My brother approached me and he started talking about this retreat that he and his wife had gone on. I signed up and came with no real understanding of any of the teaching and um, it changed my life just when I needed it to. Theology of the Body Institute was founded in 2004 with a very simple mission, to help every man and woman who comes to our courses to discover how beautiful and loved they truly are. Would you say that this course has changed your life? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Blew my mind. I thought, where you been, right? Like, it was life-changing. Transform me completely, totally. I don't usually smell as much. An axe hit me in between the head and just split me open. So I'm like, where has this been? I felt embarrassed, you know, and ashamed because it's like. Oh. <laughs> I felt like I've been lied to. In these days in our culture where we're kind of becoming more and more unhinged from the reality of our bodies. A course like this is like a course in humanity. I often say that theology of the body is humanity 101. I don't even like saying theology of the body because it almost makes it sound like it's this specialized, special thing off to the side. And it's just the Catholic faith. There's a hundred people here who are on fire with their love for the Lord, people of different faiths. There's great Protestant brothers and sisters here with us. Everyone is seeking love, happiness, and meaning. I think the theology of the body answers those deep yearnings of the human heart. Coming to these courses have been some of the greatest graces of my life. It was a beautiful week and I loved it. Come see. Come see. Come. I, I, I don't know what to say. It's freaking amazing. Come. Come. And you will see how your body reveals the greatest mystery of existence, of heaven, of how we are to live, how we are to love, how we are to discover the happiness we're all looking for. Come and become one who sees. Um, best money I have ever spent. Seriously. Um, go. If you're even thinking about going, just just do it. And you can ask me for more information about it. Okay, questions if you have them. If you don't, that's fine too. Clarifications. Insights to share. Yes. I have a question. Last week, it's not specifically about something you talked about, but kind of related. Um, we started start talking about lust last week. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the, like, I'm not sure if it's an actual church teaching, but the idea that we're not supposed to live with our partner before marriage 
So, um, take take sex aside. So, given given that's true, what you said of, of not engaging in the sexual relations, um, there are some circumstances where that that would be um, that that's that becomes like the best that can be done um, in in a circumstance where it's you know a, a couple is. Uh, not able to separate for, for some reasons. So there, so there are situations like that, but um, I would say one scandal would be one of the biggest things, right? Um, what, it, what it's communicating to the rest of the world, um, it, that does not understand that you're, um, you're, you're just living together as brother and sister, right? That, that, is, that is projecting something that, that could lead people astray. We're gonna talk about that more today, of the, the, really, the real call to communicate the truth of God's love, God's love through, through our bodies and specifically through um, sexual relations in our bodies. So that would be the biggest thing. So there's other things too, but um, that, that's what comes to mind as the first. Good question. Other questions, thoughts? Okie doke, as always, I'll be around after. Um, so yesterday was my birthday. I know, Hi. You Thank you, you don't have to, you don't have to say that. Um, my 19th birthday, uh, I, was, I was at Georgia Tech, in the early, early years at Georgia Tech. And you know like, um, I'm not the type of person that like tells a lot of people about their bir birthday, like just like talk, you know, tell in advance, like just so you know, make sure this is on the calendar, right? Um, to, for you to celebrate my birthday, but but I still like I kind of wanted people to, to know about it and like um, I, I was at that morning of my birthday I was at I, I had a lot of friends at the Catholic Center on campus at Georgia Tech where I went and um, so like you know my friends were all there in the morning and like nobody said happy birthday like nobody knew it was my birthday so I mean that that's fine like I probably should like communicated better. Um, but then, like, I overheard some of my friends talking, and they were planning on doing something that night, and I didn't get invited. So that, like that, that would be hard enough, like anyway. But on, on your birthday, that's like an extra, like, ugh. Um, it's like it's okay, it's fine. Like, I had I had plans anyway to go to a football game with, with my best friend, and uh, we went and we won the game. It was awesome. And and then um, he, he was telling me there's this like party near our friend Sonia's sorority and so we're we're going to that and then all of a sudden like I'm having all these like um, like last minute like social anxiety things come up and just like wait where are we are we going to a frat party like who's gonna be there what's going on there and, and he's like oh no it's gonna be, it's gonna be fine um, so we're, we're down like all the rows of fraternities and sororities at Georgia Tech and then we um, you know I, I, I walk by the Catholic Center um, and I just say like I just I just need to like say a quick prayer in there. Like just can can we stop in here for a second? Like, yeah, fine. So so I go I go into this chapel, it's completely dark. Um, I go say a prayer in the chapel and I just feel like um, like I'm just like not in the right place. Like this is this is all wrong. Like in a completely the wrong place and I don't feel good about this where I'm going and just like God be with me. Um, I walk out of the chapel and then all of a sudden in the dark in the main sanctuary I see movement. And I'm like, oh, someone like breaking into the, the church on campus, and um, 
I like I walk inside and all of a sudden all the lights come up and there are all my friends happy birthday surprise um, I'll never forget that night that's one of the nights where uh, you're like constantly crying uh, because it's like it's like too much love you know it's like you didn't realize that you were loved that much, and it, it's like you can't even handle it. Like there's big, even when I think about it, a big like thing in the throat, right? Um, when, I, when I go back to Georgia Tech now, when I go back to that Catholic Center now, it hurts. It hurts, there's, a, there's an ache, right? There's an ache uh, because that, that community like still exists and it's great and it's vibrant and some of you, you, you people have even been through that, um, but like I'm no longer a part of that, right? And that's an ache in, our, in my heart. And um, maybe it's an ache that you are familiar with in a similar experience or maybe you've moved coming to Atlanta from a new city for a job and there's something from home that was a place where you were loved and seen and known, and now you have this ache. Or maybe you've experienced this on, you, you, you've gone to a retreat before, like, like we've seen, right? You've gone to a retreat, and then it's, it's like, everybody's like best friends with each other, and, like, and, then, and then you leave. And then you leave, and on the last day, you feel that ache so strongly. And, and most of us, myself included, we, we just wanna take that ache and just like, Stuff that away. Like we don't want to feel that. We want to numb the ache in whatever way we can, right? We'll, we'll numb it with, with bad things or good things, whatever, whatever it takes to numb it, right? Um, but the Lord is inviting us to have the courage to enter into the ache. And if we do that, if we, if we have the courage to open it up and, and to stay on the cross of that ache, what we will hear is that I am meant to be in this place. Like, I am meant to be with these people forever. Like, it's wrong that I, that I leave this retreat, right? In a sense, it's right. Like, you go on to your life. But, but in a deeper sense, like, I'm not supposed to be separated from these people ever. I'm not ever supposed, I'm supposed to be in this community where I'm seeing loved and known, where I love, and I see and I know forever. And that is called the communion of saints. That, brothers and sisters, is what we are made for. It's what we are made for. It's what we are, oh, it's everything that we long for. This is what's so amazing about this teaching. That it, it doesn't come from outside and is being imposed upon you or thrust upon you. This teaching for, for myself, it resonated with what my, I already knew and experienced most deeply. And it gave word and expression to that. And it connected it to objective things that I heard at church all along and thought they didn't mean anything. They mean everything. That this communion of saints was not just a bunch of, of people who, who didn't eat bread for all of their life and are great saints and I don't, I don't even know them and, and like why would I even want to hang out with these people? Like the communion of saints is all the people in heaven 
every one of us redeemed by the Lord's blood through His grace, meant to live with Him forever. This is what we're made for. This is what we long for. This is what have. This is like beyond just heaven having God there in the communion with Him. The second component is this communion with one another. Jesus, when He speaks on heaven, um, He, uh, you know, He's asked in this bizarre scenario. It's like, hey. Um, you know, they're trying to trip them up all the time. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they're like, so yeah, this this um, this woman, she's married, and then the guy dies. But the guy had like seven brothers. So technically, like the next oldest brother will take her as his wife. And then he dies. And so she ends up marrying like all seven brothers. So in the resurrection, Jesus, like whose wife will she be? And Jesus just kind of does a mic drop and answers like, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. He says, marriage, marriage is something that happens on earth, but there's no marriage in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Why? Now, why wouldn't there be? Why does Jesus say that in heaven, um, where everything's great, everything's good, there wouldn't be the good of marriage. Uh, the Bible opens with a marriage, right? The, the Bible opens, the first book of the Bible is Genesis, right? And it begins with marriage, and what, what marriage is that? The marriage of Adam and Eve, right? Yeah, maybe it doesn't look exactly like what we picture marriage today, but it's the, it's the first marriage of man and woman. The Bible also ends with a marriage, right? A little bit lesser known marriage, but some of you might know this. What, what marriage is featured in the book of Revelation? Marriage of Christ and the church, right? So we, we talk about Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, right? You'll notice we never apply masculine language to the church ever. Now, when, you hear, when you hear the church be talking about herself, it's, it's always that. It's always using feminine language because the great mystery, the beautiful mystery, is that Christ has espoused the church as his bride. Right? The Bible opens with a marriage and ends with a marriage. It begins with the marriage of man and woman, and it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. Earthly marriage is meant to lead us to heavenly marriage. This, this is the mind-blowing truth. This marriage is very good. It's very good. It's very good. But at its best, at its best, it is meant to be a sign that reveals, anticipates, proclaims the marriage of Christ and the church. The marriage of God and all those who have been redeemed by his blood. And say yes to him. Right? Um, some are called to this marriage. Some of you, some of us, are called to this marriage. Everyone, everyone here, I can say definitively, is called to this marriage. Heavenly marriage. Right? This, um, this was so um, just mind-blowing for me. I shared on the, on the first week. Um, how how I, I, I got into um, 
you know, I get this teaching that has so much to do with sexuality and, and the body and marriage, and then I, I, I become immersed in that. And my first reaction was to go to seminary and study to become a celibate priest. Um, people didn't understand that. I would just, I, would, I was kind of like so bursting for joy when this first happened. I was just like telling everyone I could, going into, going into parishes as an intern for the archdiocese, and just like telling everyone, like, you, this is great, look what happened to me. And they're like, we don't get it. Like if marriage is so great, why are you, why are you becoming a priest? Are you advocating for priests to get married? No, not at all. You missed the whole point. What was going on in me? What was going on in me is that for so long, I thought at the, at the deepest part of me that a girl was the answer, like the answer. And I thought that that, that was the, um, I mean, as I'm, I, the Disney kind of message I just locked onto naturally for most of my life of this desire to find true love and that this, that one day, hopefully the hope I would find the one and she would complete me. And as I shared on week one, like I, I, I became very jaded into this as life went on and I started to doubt uh, maybe Disney told me a lie right I think many many people are, are still stuck there that, that we want who people who once hoped in kind of the Disney love um, they become cynical and jaded they say ah it's not realistic you know we got to compromise right but the truth is what what this teaching did for me is it told me that I was not wrong to aim for this Disney love that I was not wrong to place my hope in marriage. But instead of hoping that my whole being would be complete in this earthly marriage, to change my trajectory and aim for heavenly marriage. I entered that retreat with all these questions wanting to discern, am I supposed to be a priest? Am I supposed to be married? I, like, I don't know. And I didn't have those answers at the end of that retreat. But I was convinced of one thing, that I am made for heavenly marriage. I am made for heavenly marriage. This is, and this is the, the only thing worth living for, right? We, um, we speak sometimes, and you hear readings at, at church that seem to um, kind of confuse us in a lot of these understandings, uh, particularly here things like St. Paul will say um, in Galatians, he'll say, uh, the, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, right? So put, the, put to death the deeds of the body, right? And it seems to set up this, this kind of paradigm between flesh and spirit. Um, and it would seem that, that the body is, is, is inherently bad and that to be really holy, you just, just have to have the spiritual life, right? Um, but oftentimes, like those passages are problematic for us because we read them and we listen to them growing up kind of with just with the way that we kind of have a modern view of the human person in which, like I've said before, that the, the these Cartesian glasses where Rene Descartes says, like, I think, therefore I am, right? And views the human person as a, a soul trapped in a body, right? 
Uh, but Paul didn't write those letters with a Cartesian anthropology, with a dualistic anthropology. When we refer to the flesh, when, he's, when Paul is speaking in scripture, anywhere you see Paul speaking about the flesh, what he's speaking about is our fallen nature, uh, us body, soul, inclined to sin. We talked about that last week, this word concupiscence, right? That from the, we were created good, the body's good. Um, after the fall, the body remained good, but my way of seeing the body became wounded. I inherited this, not utter depravity, but this woundedness, this inclination to sin in my whole person, body, soul, called concupiscence. And that inclination to sin, Paul refers to as the flesh. And he says that that inclination, that is what the spirit redeems. So I to, to, to really beat that is to allow the spirit to permeate my entire being, body and soul, and fully integrate me. Right? So I, I become a person of integrity. We believe in the resurrection that you will have bodies, right? Um, I, I've talked to so many, when, when I was a seminary, and so many parishioners have this conversation of just like, um, this thought that like, when you, in, in heaven, like we'll all be ghosts forever, like, and it'll just be great. Like, well, you know, when you die, everybody's in heaven are just like floating there and, and, and it's wonderful, right? Um, and that, that is like not what we believe at all. And, and you know this already, like you say this all the time, like I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. It's your body. Um, in the resurrection, we will have our bodies back. You will, uh, if you are a man, you will be a man for all eternity. You're a woman, you'll be a woman for all eternity. Because your body reveals the person that you are. Now here we go. Let's 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 dive into this first. Because tonight, tonight we want to we want to speak more directly to some some areas that of, of sensitivity. Uh, but it's important to address these things. But again, when we talk about kind of these more controversial things, we're we're, we're not just talking about issues. We're talking about people. Real people, people we love. Uh, and we're not, as, as Father Mike Smith says, we're not talking about like us and them. We're, we're just talking about us. We're just talking about us, right? Um, and so the, the, the real uh, transgender ideology that we, we see in our world today, I mean, it's coming from a place of something really sincere and authentic. Um, I, 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 you may have experiences already, I know I have, um, the confusion that people are facing um, that I don't even pretend to understand. Uh, but, but there is definitely something real there, right? A real suffering, a real confusion uh, to feel like I am not the, I'm not in the gender that my body reveals, right? But at the same time, we have to address this as Catholics because 
if we accept kind of the transgender ideology the way our culture does, then that presumes an anthropology where we view the human person as a soul trapped in a body, where the body bears nothing on the person. And that strikes at the core of our faith. Why does that strike at the core of our faith? Why is that not just like a little article over here that's subject to you know, theologians debating and something? Um, because if you accept dualism, which you have to accept for transgender ideology, then you can't really celebrate Christmas. No, you can't. Because Christmas is the feast where the Word of God became flesh. And if the body doesn't matter, then the incarnation, the bodily death and suffering of Jesus, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus doesn't matter. This goes to the core of our faith. That God becomes fully human, body and soul. Right? Again, uh, mercy, the Lord's mercy, and this is this is family discussion right here. Right? Uh, how can we equate um, in these lofty terms of? Okay, you say like some people are made for earthly marriage, but everyone's made for heavenly marriage. That's really nice, but like. Um, but like people need love, like what? How how can how can like this this like lofty theology? How can that like? What does that actually mean? Saint Teresa of Avila um, was a mystic. This is a statue of her, of a mystical experience she had, where she was visited by an angel. An angel plunged a fiery arrow into her heart, and she describes this in terms of bodily ecstasy. Saint Teresa. A woman who is living a celibate life, um, living living on earth, got a taste of the heavenly marriage in this mystical encounter. She got a taste of living out what it means to be a bride of Jesus and is filled with the ecstasy of it. This was an also, and for her, her whole life was, but even in this moment, um, an experience of, of agony at times. And it, if, if the Christian life is filled with agony, if at times it is filled with self-denial, uh, it is because God teaches us courage, she says, in the prayer of agony, because it takes more courage to endure the ecstasy of God. It takes more courage to endure the ecstasy of God, to stay in the place of being supremely loved. Right? St. Teresa of Avila teaches us that this heavenly marriage is a real thing. Right? It's a real, it's a real reality. How do we wrestle uh, with the brokenness of our own desires in the meantime? We talked about that, how, how in this desire of the flesh that we have in concupiscence, um, that our desires, which are good, are sometimes twisted. A phrase that Christopher West uses a lot is like, the devil doesn't have his own clay. What, what, it, what it means that is that um, it, is, it is wrong to think of the, the, the material world and the body as like the devil's corner, and this 
cosmic boxing ring, and then like the spirit and, and angels and God over here, and like God and the devil are like equally matched, and sometimes like the devil gets a punch in. God is a, the devil's a creation. The, the devil does not have his own clay. He can only take what God has made and twist it. And so in our desires, the the necessity to expose ourselves to the Lord, as we do, as we encouraged last week, to expose ourselves to the Lord so that he can untwist our desire, he can redirect our desire, he can purify and elevate our desire. Here's a good example of a visual of this. this uh, in the band U2, Bono is, is singing this song about his wife called All I Want Is You. It's this song that is filled with arrows, right? This passionate desire for his wife. Uh, and of course, like, all I want is you. All I want is you. And he's singing that over, right? And it's on this, like, you know, he's just, like, singing to the crowd on this horizontal plane. And as he's singing, though, there comes a break in the song, and he just, like, lifts. You can see his concert on YouTube. It's, it's, it's an amazing moment. Uh, he just lifts his, his eyes up, and he, he just groans, lets out this big, just yell straight from his heart. It's like, all I want is you. All I want is you. All I want is you! And then the, the guitar and the chords, they change. And it starts playing a song called Where the Streets Have No Name. A song about heaven. So in, in that moment, the song, All I Want Is You, directed toward earthly desire, becomes elevated, and that desire gets redirected toward All I Want Is You, heaven, communion of saints, God. This is purity. This is what the Lord is willing to give us, to, is willing to teach us if we have the courage to enter into the ache to, in the midst of your desires as they are, again, completely, completely as they are, messy, twisted, to place them before the Lord and say, like, all I want is, all I want is you, all I want is this, right? And allow him to redirect that, to say, all I want is you, all I want is you, Lord. Amazing, amazing what can happen with that, right? Um. In college, I was in uh, was in a, a play called uh, Macbeth, and I was a guy who got killed by Macbeth in a sword fight, and it was it was this uh, big deal because like I was going to get flipped, so um, it looked like the King of Scotland was just flipping me with his great strength, but I actually had to do like fight choreography and flip, um, but I could not ever get the flip right. It would I would just like constantly try and I would land on my back and just I had like casts and so many bruises and injuries from rehearsal for the show and finally like, the director got fed up and was like yeah I think we're gonna have to cut this uh, this number like if it doesn't come together tonight and I was like no way we I we are not cutting this thing like I, I got so so hurt from this like we are getting this right right um, and so like up until that moment like as I was getting ready to do the, the jump, I would get, I would imagine myself falling and just like, that would that would mess me up. But this time I was just like, um, I just committed to it. You know, I just like, 
we're, we're going to it no matter what. And I did, and I landed perfectly. And every time since that, I landed perfectly, right? In the face of where everything inside you is screaming, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die if I do this thing. That actually is the place where you land perfectly. It's actually when you, when you, when I gave into that uh, and said, "Oh, I don't want to die," is when I actually hurt myself. Right? Jesus says the very similar thing. If you seek to preserve your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, if you enter into the space where everything is screaming, like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die here, you find it. You connect, you land. And this is the point of what it means to be human. When everything in you is saying, like, I'm going to die, like, my selfishness, it's going to die. If I give my life in a sincere way, then you arrive at what it means to be human. You find yourself and the sincere gift of yourself. And how you give that sincere gift, um, the church gives two ways. One of them is married love, where you give yourself sincerely to another person. And the other way is in celibate life, where you give yourself totally to God, and in a certain way to everyone. I, I know so many people who uh, I think the fear is that like if I were to give myself um, like if I were to not be sincere in relationships in dating then it's like less it's less of a it's like less of a rejection but if like if, if I was to actually be sincere if it was actually to be sincere um, like I might die <laughs> Like it might hurt. Because that, um, I see this all the time, and like, in, in, in the priesthood too, one of my friends, he, he was in seminary, he, um, he had a lot of problems with his classes. And he was just constantly like failing, like every class. And the root of it, we came to the awareness, he's like, um, I'm afraid, like, I, I'm intentionally not engaging. Because if I really tried, then I then I fail like that would that would be like me really failing. But if I just like sabotage myself, then, then you know I could say, oh well, I didn't really try anyway. How much how much do we do that with dating here, right? I'm not really gonna put my heart out there because uh, ah, that would that would hurt. How why why the celibate life is also this. Sincere gift of self, like why why celibacy is good at all? Well, again, if this if earthly marriage is meant to be a sign of our ultimate destiny, and this is the real deal for everyone, heavenly marriage, um, the celibate person skips this sign and starts living now on earth the reality that one day all of us are going to live. In heaven, everyone's going to be celibate. Everyone. Right? And in, in this marital relationship with the Lord, in this great mystery, right? Um, the celibate teaches us that that's real and gives evidence to that. And what a witness do we need today? Because if that is real, then that changes these relationships over here. 
These are still beautiful and so good. But it kind of takes the pressure off the other person to be the everything. You stop asking for this other person to complete all, all, every one of your desires. Like that's, it's kind of unfair to expect that in a finite human being with lots of imperfections. Right? And only kind of when you when you realize that you you find the freedom to love the person as they are. Um, and you really do see the beauty of this. This is Michael O'Connor and his girlfriend, Sarah. They were at a con concert uh, several years back. Uh, little did they know they would be caught up in the Bataclan terrorist attacks. Uh, you may have remember hearing about those in, in, in Paris, I believe. So yeah, they're at, this, they're at this giant concert venue and gunmen start opening fire. It's chaos. People screaming, panic everywhere in this great, uh, you know, sudden attack. The exits fill up, right? There's this mad rush to all the exits, and the exits quickly become clogged. And Michael and Sarah realize um, they're not getting out. So Michael turns to Sarah, looks at her, and he says, I love you. And then he proceeds to lay his body down over her while bullets are soaring overhead. Uh, the words, I love you, are very nice. I like to hear them. Uh, but it kind of speaks louder when those words are followed up with the physical action of somebody laying their body down over you while bullets flying overhead. The, the body speaks louder. This is the truth. That you and I have the capacity to speak with our bodies. There is a language of the body. And we have the capacity to speak incredible love. This, for those of you who, who are married or are Will, will be married one day. Um, this is this is kind of from the right of Catholic marriage. You get married in the church, and it's the vows that are exchanged, right? And they kind of touch on these these kind of four principal things, right? Um, like have you come here freely, right? It's free, free, um, without reservation to give yourself totally to one another. For, for the rest of your life, right, in a faithful way, and to be able to accept children lovingly from God. The vows and promises are free, total, faithful, and fruitful, to summarize. Free, total, faithful, fruitful. Uh, it's kind of like these, it's kind of like these four pedestals, four like legs on this chair. Like, um, if there was like, I'm standing on this, and it's, it's good because I'm supported by all like four legs, um, but if even just like one of those legs were taken off this chair, like I would fall apart, right? All four uh, of these promises, right? These uh, free, total, faithful, fruitful are needed. And like why they're needed is because that is how we know love is, by revealed truth. How do we know that? Because this is the way that Jesus loves us, right? Jesus 
John, John 10, like, I'm not a hired man. Like, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to raise it up. No one takes my life from me. I come here freely. Right? He, gives, he gives everything on the cross, totally. It is ear, St. Paul says, the gift and call of God are irrevocable. He's not going to take the cross back. He's not going to go back in time and say, eh, no. Now, it's faithful. And dare we suggest, dare anyone suggest, that the life and love that the love that Jesus gives does not bear fruit in us. If it does, it is not a problem with his cross. It's a problem with me. Not being open to that, right? And so, so here we are. You have, you have kind of these promises. Uh, and here's, here's the really exciting thing. Uh, I was at a, a, a kind of a a mass a couple years ago where this elderly couple were renewing their wedding vows. And so it was beautiful. I think it was like the 40th year anniversary and um, they come and came together and they, they said these same things. And um, like it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful moment. But technically, they didn't have to wait until this like ceremony at the church to renew their wedding vows. Because every act of intercourse is meant to be a renewal of these wedding vows. So here we go. The big punch. If the body has a language, what does sex speak? Sex speaks marriage vows. Every time. Every time. That is what sex speaks, right? Going back from this whole thing and Go to Ephesians 5, right? The, the reading at Mass today, if you're at Mass, right? Um, for this reason, a man shall, shall uh, leave his wife and, cling, and leave mother and father and cling to his wife. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. Okay. Okay, so if these are the, uh, if these are the wedding vows, then that means in our bodies, in some way, all of us, just by loving, Authentically, even as like single people, um, we can embrace the call to be a gift, to make a sincere gift of ourselves. That, that's how you evaluate like the, the fullness of your life. Are you living your life um, out of self-love? Or are you living your life out of a gift? Right? So that's just like the general call and general vocation. But for, for, those, for those who are called to the sacrament of marriage, um, you have the incredible ability to speak the truth of God with your bodies. Um, a prophet is one who speaks the truth of God, right? John Paul II talks about prophetism of the body, to be able to speak to the world and to reveal in your body, and especially in the coming together of, of where the two become one, uh, what the true nature of love is, what the true nature of God is, John Paul II says, um, in, in regards to us being all made in the image of God, you've heard that before. He said, um, yeah, everybody has a dignity. You're, you're made in the image of God. Um, but we, we become more in the image of God, not so much just by ourselves, me, me just sitting in this chair. We become more in the image of God through communion rather than the act of solitude. Why? Because God himself is a communion of persons. 
right? The Trinity. So if we have this capacity to speak the truth of God uh, authentically with our bodies, uh, then we also have the capacity to speak a lie. Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, you remember what he did? He's like, hail rabbi. And he kisses him. Right? The kiss is supposed to communicate friendship. Um, but in that act, it was there was betrayal. So we can we have the capacity to speak the truth with our bodies, the truth about love, the truth about God, but we also have the capacity to speak a lie. And instead of raising the world up to awe about God and, and love, we can do the opposite and create incredible confusion and, and obscure the sign that God has entrusted to us in our person and our bodies about who he is and the nature of love. Right? Um, I, I've been doing a lot more research on uh, child sex trafficking as part of my work. Um, I would imagine there's there's little controversy on the immorality of that here, right? <laughs> pretty pretty convinced this is uh, of all the controversial things I work with, um, that's not one of them, right? This very wrong modern day slavery for exploiting children, right? Um, but like, why is that wrong? Like, why would that be wrong? Let's like press that uh, for like a million reasons, right? I mean, for one, it's not free, right? For I mean, it's complete use. It's it's they, these people have no desire to uh, for, for a total commitment, right? And so it's, it's like um, one of the legs of the chair is gone. And because like one of the legs of the chair is gone, we know free, total, faithful, fruitful, it, it doesn't have one or many of the legs, and we said that doesn't hold up to the test. And it's like, you know that in your heart, like you know child sex trafficking is wrong. It's like a little, a note of dis dissonance. It's like out of tune of that song of songs that we talked about last week. And so that same logic, let's be consistent and apply that to like everything. So why, um, like does an act uh, of infidelity, of marital infidelity, image God's free, total, faithful, fruitful love? No, right? By definition, right? infidelity. Does, does an act of premarital sex Image God's free, total, faithful, fruitful love. No. That's the only reason I want to have premarital sex. <laughs> because it, in fact, preserves me from, from the total gift. Right? That, that is the whole point. That's, that's like why, why we do it. Free, total, faithful. It, it doesn't image that. Because we don't want it to image that. That's the point. Um, does, does an act of masturbation image God's free, total, faithful, fruitful love? Hopefully we're starting to see kind of the standard of this. Um, see, there's, there's kind of an in me, in me um, I observe within me the desire for union. And I find myself saying, like, I desire to have sex with this person, right? It's, it's one thing for me to say that. Like, I desire to have sex with this person. But it's like, it sounds like a different thing to say like, I want you to be the mother of my children, right? <laughs> Just like, whoa, wait. Um, like if those were like the same thing, it would be like, whoa, wait. You know, I, I thought I was saying something, I, not her, like, oh my gosh, I, 
I don't want my children anywhere near her. Uh, yes, being sex with her would be great, but like, no, I don't want you to be the mother of my children. But what if those were the same thing? What if, what if in the desire for sex, it also meant not just I want to have sex with you, but it also meant I want you to be the mother of my children? That would, that would change the whole way we viewed sex, right? <laughs> and um, if, if that's where, if there was a connection between sex and babies and those desires, then of course I'd want my children to be in the best environment possible. Uh, a loving, committed relationship between mom and dad. So God has naturally designed this kind of connection, this nexus of sex, babies, and marriage, right? But when you, want, when you kind of loosen that nexus, when you really divorce sex from babies, pretend that they're not connected, we get into all sorts of problems. Right? Does an act of intentionally sterilized intercourse image God's free, total, faithful, fruitful love? Does an act, no, the answer is no. Does an act of uh, in vitro fertilization Right? Uh, image God's free, total, faithful, fruitful love. Again, these, these are such sensitive things. And, and we're, we're doing this all in, in, the, in the realm of God's mercy, right? And this, if this is new and this is hard, it's, it's okay to wrestle with this a little bit. Um, but I, I, I kind of present, the, the, I drop these bombs together to show the consistency in thought. That if contraception is wrong because it, it presents sex without babies, in vitro fertilization is wrong because it presents babies without sex. Okay. I want to share um, I want to share this story from my friend Shannon um, that kind of touches in on, on the climax of, of a lot of these conclusions. It's probably very close to the heart of many of you today. Um, but Shannon is my real friend, um, and I've been so blessed to get to know her. Um, I hope her story blesses you too. It sounds dumb, but I was considering not writing this in here because I'm embarrassed. I really don't want to be a lesbian, and more bi than that. I need you to help me. I need someone to talk to about this. I don't know. Help God, please. So I have two older sisters. I grew up uh, feeling a little different than them. I, I just remember I would always be playing with Barbies, but then I'd be playing with Hot Wheels as well for things that weren't like stereotypically things that like little girls would do, right? That experience, honestly, I think really just started to send me on a, on a mission and like a, a search for like, who am I? to a really like physical friendship with a neighborhood friend, a neighborhood girl. I remember we were alone in her room and um, obviously like, being physical in this case and uh, her dad barged in and started yelling. I was just so confused because I didn't know that there was something off about it uh, because that's what I had, we had been doing, you know, me 
provide me with answers, you know, like what does it mean to be a Catholic woman? I took on a general studies minor. I was seeking answers even in my classes. And so I was walking through campus knowing that adoration was going on. And I was like, I just need, I need Jesus. <laughs> but I, I remember walking
I know Shannon through um, Eden Invitation. Uh, I was privileged to um, go on on a uh, every year in, at Hidden Lake. They have a retreat, Eden Invitation for um, Catholics whose experience is on the LGBTQ spectrum, and um, uh, like what a gift it was to to be able to to, to be there. Um, Shannon is is a friend that always reminds me personally that I've made for this heavenly marriage. And she's, she's so convinced of it herself. She knows she's made for love. There's no doubt in her mind that she is made for love. Uh, she also recognizes um, that same-sex acts are intrinsically disordered. What that means, what that does not mean church speaks about is that this this is like a, a psychological disorder what that means is they're incapable of being ordered to the proper end of sexuality which means that same-sex acts by nature are not ordered to life that is the reason why that is is a problematic right uh, it has no bearing on a judgment on the person's and it certainly is not the fault of an experience, an inclination that is never even chosen or willed by the person. Again, some are called to this heavenly marriage. Everyone is made. Sorry, some are called to the earthly marriage. Everyone is made for this heavenly marriage. Right? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Only us who go before the Lord with our questions, with our desires. Only us who go before the Lord and allow him to teach us what we're really longing for. I, um, I, once, I, I once fell in love with a baker in, um, in my life, and I wrote a song about her. Um, and it was, it, was, it was great. It was like, Jamie the baker, I'm so in love with you. Your kiss is as sweet as a tiramisu. Oh, Jamie the baker. Darling, can't you see? You got me on preheat to 350. That was so good, right? I don't know why that relationship didn't work out. <laughs> um, but the point is, like, I would do that. I would, like, associate songs on the radio with different people I had a crush on at the time. And um, there was this one song that, like, I was getting ready to do that with, with a particular girl. And I felt God saying, like, that's nice, Joey, what you do with that. Um, but like this song, like I want you to just like, um, like keep this song for me, like make it about us, you and I, like me and God. And so anytime like you hear that, like, um, you know, you're reminded of my love for you and your love for me. And so I did that and, and like several years went by and it was in the midst of uh, a very difficult time in my life where I just started working and I just had a terrible, uh, terrible day filled with meetings and conference rooms and I. I went in my car and I just, just wanted to just go home and, and just crash. And I, I turn on the car and music starts playing and it's, it's, it's the song. And immediately, there's a reaction in me to just like drive away or, or, or turn this off. Because um, I'm, in, I'm in the middle of this parking lot with like everybody, all my clients walking around. Like everyone can see me. Uh, and I felt the Lord like, Encouraged me to keep listening to the song, and, and I'm having this like 
panicky dialogue quickly in my mind. Just like, I can't, I can't do this right now. I can't, I can't do this here. Like, they'll see. Everyone will see. And I heard the Lord speak to me saying, like, I am not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed of you. I don't care what any of these people think of you. Sit here and let me sing to you. Maybe the Lord has a song to sing to you tonight uh, to remind you of his love, to convince you um, that you were made for love, you are created for love, and you're called into love. We're going to have the bridegroom himself here. The one. He's going to be right here. And the invitation for us tonight is to let our masks fall and to expose ourselves all with all our twisted desires and present them to Jesus. So I invite you to go and, and you're welcome to come up closer as Father Mark brings in our Lord. Uh, but pray with me as we welcome Jesus in. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.